Welcome to the Daily Objective, day 109 of the war in Israel. Um, you know, we hear a lot about the, uh, we've talked here as well about the suffering of the Palestinians. Uh, when you when you watch the news, that is that is mostly the, the story you hear about Palestinians living under war uh, in Gaza, you know, under bombardments by, by Israel, having been displaced from their homes. You don't hear much, at least in Western media, about... Mm-hmm. The fact that Israel is also living in a time of war, uh, Israelis are are going through that, and that is a war that, you know, you also not many people mention. Israel didn't actually start or choose. Uh, so we're going to talk about that today. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Michael Kaufman. Michael Kaufman is the CEO of uh, Neriad Therapeutics. Did I pronounce that correctly? Beautifully. And they are um, uh, involved in cancer drug uh, development. And um, Michael, you live, you are, are you in Tel Aviv right now? Yeah, I'm in Tel Aviv now. I spend about half the time uh, in Tel Aviv and the rest in America. So I'll just start generally. Uh, what what has it been like uh, living in Israel in Tel Aviv since October 7th? Yeah, so we were luckily, uh, my family, we live in Northern Tel Aviv. Um, luckily, we were outside the country on October 7th. We had actually boarded the Lufthansa flight uh, from Austria uh, back to Tel Aviv, and we were told to get off the plane that all flight stays were all canceled. Uh, and then we, we heard about the war. Uh, we weren't able to get here for about three days because the majority of flights were canceled to Israel. And frankly, there were terrorists running around the country and nobody knew exactly where they were. Um, we did get in about three days after the war started. It was, um, the airport was mostly empty. El Al, was, which is the Israeli airline, was the only one flying into Israel. Um, there were a surprising number of foreigners, mostly Jewish, mostly Israel supporters coming into the country and many uh, reservists from the Israeli Defense Force, which is the army. Uh, that were coming back into the country. And it was a bit ironic to see that because most countries in a wartime, you see a lot more people leaving, but there were a lot more people coming in. Uh, we felt it was our duty to come back. Also, our my oldest son is in the reserves and he was called up to the Northern Front because there was already some trouble there. Um, the first week that we were back was pretty scary, actually. We were um, under constant missile attack, even in Tel Aviv which requires longer range missiles from Gaza. Um, Four to five times a day, we were running into our safe room within our apartment. Um, These are reinforced rooms that actually uh, have protected air flow. Um, We had uh, barely internet service in there. And when the missile sirens are blowing, you have about 15 seconds to get into the room before the missile, if it does hit, will hit. Luckily, Israel has iron domes, not luckily, but with the uh, great collaboration between Israel and the United States, they've developed remarkable anti-missile missiles, which is called Iron Dome, and there's another one called David Sling. Um, and most of the rockets that come to Tel Aviv were taken out over the Mediterranean Sea. And you could hear a very loud bang. Um, my eight-year-old daughter would start crying and screaming at times until she unfortunately got used to it after about a week, uh, because it's a bit scary and it's pretty terrifying for the kids. Um, The other big problem we had in the first week was that we didn't know it, but 3,500 terrorists had entered Israel 
And their actual plans, which we learned later, were to come up and take over the country. Um, we didn't know where they were. The Israeli Defense Force was very slow to respond to the initial attack. Really nothing happened for the first six to eight hours. And it took uh, literally 24 hours for the IDF to really get its act together. And there were terrorists still running around the country um, for, for a very long time. So it was a pretty scary time. Yeah, um, again, we, we, we don't hear much about this, but uh, kids in Israel are growing up with, you know, with these loud explosions, because, yeah, when, when a rocket is shot down, there is an explosion, and, and um, you know, th these are not the most sophisticated rockets, which, of course, makes, uh, to, for some people, makes the Palestinians the people to support because they're not, they're not as advanced. But, uh, yeah, those rockets... Uh, the, the rockets uh, started sometime, I think, in the early 2000s, and they were targeted at um, uh, some of the settlements in the, within the Gaza Strip, uh, some of the villages and towns uh, around the Gaza Strip. And since Israel left, they became better at it. And uh, yeah, th those are, uh, first of all, they're dangerous. Second of all, yeah, this is what kids in Israel are growing up with. And again, through the choice of uh, the Palestinians, which is which is not something that is uh, is very often reported. Um, so we're talking uh, today on the, um, what is it, 23rd of January. Today was one of the worst days for Israel in uh, in the ground operation. 21 soldiers uh, died in, in an operation. They died because they went into a building and they basically went into an ambush in that building. Now, Israel does these sort of operations knowing that soldiers are likely to die um when when it could it could be done without the soldiers death but with the risk of uh, of casualties on the Palestinian side um what do you think about that what what is the sentiment generally in Israel when something like this happens do do you hear voices saying you know why why were they there why was this not done from the air yeah, I, I think one of the one of the un greatest unfortunate things about the West, most Western media and the portrayal of the entire war is this notion that somehow Israel is not careful um, and this notion that somehow they indiscriminately bomb people. Let, let's be very clear. If Israel wanted to, Gaza would be a parking lot within a week. Let me say that again. It, the Israeli Air Force is second probably only to the United States Air Force in the entire world. If Israel wanted to, Gaza would not exist anymore, except underground where the um, terrorists are hiding. Israel has been incredibly careful and has lost over 213 uh, soldiers now. These are all almost all young people between the ages of 18 and 28 for the vast majority of them because they're trying not to do that. They are not indiscriminately bombing the, the strip and they are trying to do very careful operations, which is exactly what Razi was talking about. This particular incident, which is a tragedy, terrible tragedy, was only because they wanted to um, take down these buildings which are used by Hamas. And there's a, there's a great network of buildings and tunnels that are used by Hamas for one goal, and that is to eliminate Israel. And they went into those buildings to level the buildings and make sure that there were no uh, civilians in the buildings as well. 
And when they see civilians, they ask them to leave. They actually send out messages. They speak Arabic, etc., and they they say to get out of there because it's a dangerous zone. And they were trying to eliminate these buildings, and unfortunately, it became effectively became an ambush. Uh, the Israeli army in the past used to actually drop leaflets on buildings and also send in small what are, are sort of knocking knocking devices, basically a tiny little bomb that would not penetrate anything, but would leave a loud bump on the on the building so that anybody inside could leave, including the terrorists. And the entire goal that Israel used to have before the October 7th massacre occurred was to try to save as many civilians as possible, even though they knew they were alerting the terrorists as well by using this knocking. Um, because of the anger and frustration and, and disgust and depression following October 7th, this particular uh, maneuver, which is not used by any other army in the world, by the way, and never has been, only by Israel, uh, this was abandoned. But they still drop leaflets all the time. They, they have humanitarian corridors, etc. Ironically, Syria, where the giant civil war has been going on and there are half a million dead Muslims, um, certainly nowhere in anywhere in Russia or Ukraine are any of these considerations. And obviously the world has had no issue with what has gone on those other places, but somehow it's become Israel's so-called fault because civilians are, are killed. I, I did neglect to mention because I was giving a Tel Aviv view just at the beginning, um, and Razi, you mentioned it, um, there are 200,000 Israelis who do not live in their homes right now. That includes uh, about 40% of them, I believe, are in the communities surrounding Gaza, where these communities are completely ghost towns now because they're just too dangerous, even today. And in and a lot of people in the north where Hezbollah is attacking intermittently and has led to uh, many towns being uninhabitable there as well. Nobody seems to care that there are 200,000 Israelis that are completely displaced even by the victor, et cetera, and they cannot go back. And Israel has, you know, every government has a job to protect their citizens. Israel will take action to make sure that those citizens can return safely to their homes. If that means eliminating every Gaza terrorist or all of Hezbollah, if that's what it takes to make those parts of the country habitable, then that's what they will do. And by the way, I think for everybody living outside of Israel, if your government allowed your house to be bombed regularly, I think you probably have a pretty strong opinion that they should do what it takes to make sure that can't happen. Uh, but I, I'm sorry I neglected to mention that at the beginning. Um, back to the, the last bit, and I'll, I'll just close with saying, uh, we have lost a lot of young people here. Israel, much more so than the United States, Every time we lose a soldier, the picture, pictures of the families, they're on the news. There is a great deal of, of crying and sadness um, and increased frustration with both Hamas, Hezbollah, and, and in general, the, the whole world's response to this, that why young people who have done nothing but defend the country should have to die needlessly in, in all of this. That's besides what happened on the 7th of, of October, which initiated this. And I'll just remind people lastly that we did have a ceasefire. On October 6th, there was a ceasefire. October 7th changed everything. And I'm, I, I really believe that Israel is doing what it can, I think way beyond what it should do. I personally, as an American, 
think Israel is way too careful. And I think when you're in a war and when people have not only killed, maimed, raped, beheaded your citizens, but actually taken hostages, which is a violation of every uh, law of war in the world. And they're not, and by the way, Hamas is not in front of the international court, but if, if someone does that to you, then I think you should be a lot harsher in your response. And let's face it, when countries elect, and Hamas was elected, when countries elect a government and that government behaves badly or causes you harm, that's the government's fault. That's not the people that they harmed. Um, so uh, thank you, Stephen, for the super chat. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Bonnie, for your super chats. Um, yeah, on that point, so I was looking today at um, Owen Jones, a famous left-wing uh, uh, journalist in, in the UK who we mention here frequently. And by we, I mean I mentioned frequently. So today he was... Uh, he was talking about about these these buildings where the soldiers died and how uh, the, you know Israel is at fault basically because the, these are civilian buildings that they were going in order to take down, which is a a war crime uh, or or something of the sort. Now, again, th this was an ambush. So the and and, and um, oh, some what some what he said was. The argument that uh, that this is a civilian, uh, you know, building uh, that is used can be said about any any building, but it can be said about any building, and it would be correct. This is what Hamas does. Th there is um, seemingly nothing that Israel can do except you know lay down and die um, that would be acceptable to much of the world. So. Is it what is the purpose on Israel's part of, of you know trying so so hard to avoid civilian casualties on the Palestinian side, knowing a knowing that soldiers would die, b knowing that the Palestinian people are behind this. This this was not something that Hamas did against the will of the people. That they participated in October seventh. They celebrated on the streets. Uh, so you know. Yeah, what what is the point, and is this is this actually uh, an effective way to achieve the goals, or is it counterintuitive? Well, I, I, a couple of points. Um, the first one is, and I, and I, you know, as an American who also now has Israeli citizenship, married to an Israeli um, with dual citizenship children, um, I I believe that Israel is is too careful. I just everything I've grown up to believe, everything that the United States has done in pretty much every war that the United States has participated in, including World War II, where we annihilated Germany. And there are, there are cities in Germany like Frankfurt and, and others that were leveled completely. You go to Frankfurt, there are no old buildings because there was nothing left. Um, and you go to Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan, where we obviously dropped atomic weapons, which stopped that war. Um, and I support all of those moves. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there today who believe that we were disproportionate. But I think when people are driving, you know, flying planes into your ships, which is what the Japanese kamikazes were doing, or what, what the Germans did to not only the Jews, but to gypsies, gays, etc., cetera, um, annihilating those in concentration camps, again, it's a war. It's either you or me. Um, and I think the Israelis are some of the most careful people when it comes to all of this. 
And they don't do it to appease the world. They do it because it's part of Judaism. Um, the loss of any life, it, assuming it's not a life that has pointing a gun at your head, um, is of concern to them. And they, I get into many arguments here in Israel with people about, about the restraint that the Israeli um, Defense Forces put on its soldiers in, in doing what it's, it's doing. I, I don't agree with it, um, but it, it's something that they do because that's part of the culture here. Uh, and they, they do recognize that life is important. They really do. And that's one of the reasons you see pictures of soldiers up, which we don't do in America very often. Uh, we, we certainly didn't do, do it during Afghanistan and Iraq, which are our two largest wars recently. And uh, we couldn't do it clearly in Vietnam and in Korea because of the, the great uh, divisions within our country to do it. But these, the, the Israelis do, and, they, and they're very con concerned um, about this. I, I think the, the arguments, look, I, I have a very strong opinion and, and I, I just don't understand frankly, most of the criticism about Israel. I, I think October 7th, there is good and there is evil. Nothing can justify what happened on October 7th. When, when there, are, there are always you know, two sides to every issue and one side is right and the other one is, in this case, just pure evil. Hamas treats its people terribly. They treat the women terribly. They, treat, they, they behead or throw gays off of buildings. Um, Anybody who doesn't agree, there are no Christians to speak of in Gaza because they were eliminated or kicked out. Just like there are very few Christians left, frankly, in Lebanon, and certainly very, very few in South Lebanon, which is mostly controlled by Hezbollah. Um, it, it is shocking to me, anybody that could support Hamas, because let's start with the foundation of Hamas. The foundation is that they don't recognize the existence or the right of Israel to exist, that from the river to the sea means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which means there is no country of Israel anymore. And when someone basically says, I don't recognize the right of your country to exist, they have declared de facto war on you. So once somebody declares war on you, you have every right to defend yourself to the extent that you need to. Um, the, the, the second part of it is that's the foundation of Hamas. Where are they headed? Let's assume that Hamas had a state. What would the state look like in 10 years? At best, it would look like Iran. This is what every person who supports Hamas wants to see happen. They want a caliphate. Hamas, if they could ever create a country, and I don't think they can because all I think they can do is, is military and terrorism. But if they could, it would look like Iran. I don't. I don't want to live in a world of Iran. I don't think we need Iran in the world. If Iran went away tomorrow, nothing would happen. The world wouldn't miss a thing. We would have a lot more money to put into good things like education and healthcare and food instead of defending against terrorism because Iran sponsors all the terrorism. So I don't understand the people that support Hamas. The last bit, and I, again, I, I really don't think there are two sides to this argument. There's one side. Hamas is not allowed to use United Nations buildings to put military equipment. They're not allowed. That's illegal. That's against the United Nations Charter. It's against the UNRWA Charter, et cetera, et cetera. Hamas does do that. We found many examples of United Nations buildings that house, that house weapons. Hamas is not permitted 
to put weapons in hospitals. Well, we've seen time and again that actually the majority of the Hamas major weapons areas are either in or below the hospitals, which is completely illegal and which everyone seems to forget. Never mind the fact that they shot off a, an Arab missile that knocked out, that killed a bunch of their civilians. Israel was originally blamed in some of the worst reporting in modern history. The notion you could, could count 500 bodies within five minutes. Never mind the fact that the missile didn't even come from the, from the air. It came from the ground. Um, and that has still hasn't been corrected by many of the people that were gleefully reporting that this was Israel's massacre of Palestinian civilians. By the way, the 50 or so Palestinian civilians that were killed by the Islamic Jihad missile, the, that is not considered a massacre. That's just fine. The world has never condemned Islamic Jihad for that. I've never heard it anywhere. Um, and lastly, you're not allowed to put any weapons in schools. And yet we know day in and day out that many, many schools have weapons. Hospitals, schools, United Nations buildings. There are no civilian structures. There are also homes. We've seen pictures of kids' rooms with dolls that are where, where missiles are, are in the, and bombs are inside the dolls. I mean, there are no buildings in Palestine, so-called, or in Gaza, where there are, no, there are no military equipment. Every single building is a potential source of military equipment. The notion that there's any difference between civilian buildings and military Hamas terrorist buildings is ridiculous. And frankly, could only be applied to Israel because no one would dare tell the United States that we, you know, ever dropped bombs or, or certainly not give them a hard time, give the US a hard time. Never mind Russia, Ukraine and the Syrian civil war and so on and so forth. So I, I, I think one, one of the things that we all ought to do when we hear these arguments is to stop and stop allowing this kind of door opening policy that we have which is to allow people to come in sort of on the side and kind of squeak in through some ridiculous notion that Israel might have messed up once or twice. Of course it did, it's a war. Every country messes up once or twice. But we're fighting people that put babies in front of them as shields. And you're right, Razi, the, the only other option would be for Israel to lay down and die. And that isn't going to happen. Yeah, I have to say, I think you were taking it easy on uh, the UN and UNRWA. So, uh, by the way, anybody here who hasn't seen our episode, UNRWA is Hamas, uh, the, the, Daniel will put a link to it uh, either in the live chat or in the description or both. But yeah, uh, UNRWA is completely controlled by Hamas. You know, they, it is it is locals who work there. Those locals will not be will not be able to work there without the approval of Hamas. Of so it is. It is a Hamas wing. It is the wing of Hamas that is funded by American taxpayers, essentially. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it is it is an entity that needs to be dismantled as well as part of uh, if, if anything is going to change there. Um, Razi, maybe I, I don't trying to one up you on this, but I, I think one of the things you learn um, in science and medicine, and, and I'm not trying to take the high road here too much, but but the word United Nations, let's, let's dissect that for two seconds. This is an absurd notion. If, if the nations were truly united, the, the, the majority of the United Nations, the nations that are in the UN are not democracies. There's nothing united about them. 
They are mostly non-democratic places that are ruled by autocracy, theocracy, or by just thugs. And they're not united. There's no, there's no unit, even in the Security Council, the, the highest body within the United Nations, you have Russia and China with the United States and two of its allies. It's absurd. It is a, it is a the, the, the name United Nation is a misnomer. It would be like saying that there's a good kind of cancer. There's no good cancer. Yeah, by the way, when we talk about the UN, please always try to one up me when I, when I criticize them. That is, I don't think you can criticize them strongly enough. By the way, on this channel, we have suggested when people asked, you know, what what uh, should be done. First of all, the US uh, pays 25% of their budget, cut that immediately, kick them out. And I've also suggested there's this, uh, do you know this building in Pyongyang that looks kind of like an arrow, uh, was built as a hotel, is really a tall skyscraper and is empty because as, as they do in communist countries, they built it uh, to give people jobs or whatever, and it's it's empty. That can be the new United Nations headquarters. I think that's the perfect place for it. Uh, we have a uh, super chat from Dean. Thank you, Dean. The question is, um, Hey, Razi and Michael, is it possible to make a deal with Hamas for hostages, get them back, and then kill the terrorists you released? Not that Israel would ever have the balls to make this move. First of all, I can see why your super chat uh, wasn't allowed. The word balls, I'm guessing, is uh, is the reason, but uh, we can read that here. Michael, your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, Israel just just sent a deal uh, offer, offer for a two-month um two months stay of, of the fighting and and very likely Hamas will will or has part of part or all of it will or has escaped through the Egyptian Rafah crossing. That's the other great we didn't cover that, but everyone should remember that the other crossing and where all the weapons come in is through Egypt, even though Egypt is supposedly in a peace treaty with Israel. Egypt has allowed all the weapons to come in to Hamas, it's et cetera, et cetera. But um, we just offered that uh, to get the hostages back, and they said absolutely not. Um, these people will allow all of their citizens to die. They will allow the food to run out. They will allow the water to run out. And Israel has allowed humanitarian aid, which is far greater than most conflicts in the world. I mean, the conflicts that are ongoing now in Africa, for example, there's no humanitarian aid, there's famine. And, and nobody is screaming about that. You don't see protesters screaming about that. Hamas has no interest in life. And I think you all have to remember, we as Westerners often, we walk into a lion's den and we think if we're just going to talk to the lion nicely, the lion will behave in a civilized fashion, which may be true up to a point, but at some point the lion decides it's hungry and all civility ends and you end up being eaten. We are applying the wrong values to people that don't respect life. If someone doesn't respect life, then you cannot reason with them. And we have made this mistake, and especially on the left, uh, for a very long time, and we continue to make it. It seems the more 9-11s we have and the more uh, underground bombings there are in Britain and other places, and the more ISIS we have, and frankly, Boko Haram, and Hezbollah and Hamas and Houthis and everybody. It seems like we all want to embrace these people and just talk to them like civilized folks. And it's, it's crazy. Um, 
There, I don't believe that, that beating Hamas and getting the hostages back are compatible with each other. I, that's my own personal belief. There's a growing number of people. The Israeli Defense Force has now started to come to that, I think, realization that, that Hamas will fight till, until they all um, are killed and get to go up to heaven, get their 72 virgins. And I'm not making this up. This is their own language. And, you know, meet Allah and get their 72 virgins. And this is the, this is the death cult that is Hamas. Remember what Hamas has done with the anywhere between 15 to $30 billion in aid that has come in, that we know of, that has come into the Palestinian Authority and into, into Gaza. They have spent the vast majority of it on tunnels, which are the best in the world, and missiles. And why anybody thinks they would change that and suddenly decide that they want to build a real life for the Palestinians is beyond me. Yeah, uh, I also agree, Dean. I don't see it happening. You know, <clears throat> if you release them into a few buses and then they release the, the hostages and then you bomb those buses, that's that's great. That Hamas wouldn't agree to such a deal because they would know there's a risk. Uh, so they, they know they know how to how to work these deals in a way that it's it's not possible. Uh, you could just release them into Gaza and then flatten Gaza. But I don't think Israel is going to do that either. So. Uh, we are out of time. Um, the reality show starts right after we go off the air here. Uh, today's topic is the two-state solution. Michael, thank you very much for joining me. Where can people find uh, find out more about you? I think probably LinkedIn is probably the most about me. Look for Michael Kaufman, uh, Boston and Miami drug developer, uh, and Neriad, N-E-R-E-I-D, Therapeutics. Thanks, Michael. I hope to see you back on the channel soon. And uh, yeah, the reality show starts in uh, about a minute. Thanks. Thanks.